Welcome to the Phase World Podcast. Engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. Hey, what's going on? This is your host, Fei Wu, and welcome to another episode of the Face World Podcast. Every week, I interview one person or sometimes a small group of people about their stories. I call them our everyday heroes because I believe they have the most to teach us about life through relatable stories, useful tools and tactics. But it's important to know that there isn't a step-by-step process that's going to work for everyone. Phase World is an opportunity where I learn to see, to understand, and to transform myself, and hopefully take a few others along the way. If any of these stories resonated with you, please share with family and friends. Today, I have a young woman named Alyssa Ackerman joining me on the show. She is a Michigan native with a passion for travel and studying humans. From the road, she's a digital marketing consultant, content creator, yogi, hiker, and photographer. I met Alyssa in 2012 at Sapien Nitro in Boston. This was years before she took on her new journey, which we'll hear all about in the next hour. Somehow, I was not surprised. And I knew all the skills she learned at Sapient, being the marketing strategist, a little bit of a project manager, will certainly come in handy. In January 2016, Alyssa headed out in a van with her partner, Donnie Rex. They had since then parted ways as planned to continue exploring the country separately. Alyssa's adventure reminded me of Mick Ebeling, whom I interviewed on an earlier episode. Mick said, commit first, then figure it out. I think that's precisely what Alyssa did. Preparing for her trip was part of the adventure. Can you just imagine that? She's got a, a Honda CRV and converted into a full functioning unit to live in, including DIY everything, sink build, storage shelf, table, cushions, uh, curtains, extending couch and bed, even a solar panel installation. She created an entire DIY section on her website, a place and all its creatures.com, and you actually find van conversion as part of the main navigation in the upper right hand corner. So, yes, Alyssa is not only prepared to live in a van, she brought her marketing strategy, social media skills along on the road. Instead of traveling like a tourist, she decided to tell stories, not just her own, but others along the way. Her experiences are real. Alyssa has to look at fear, uncertainties right in the eye, acknowledge them head on. I had nothing but questions during our interview. How does Alyssa make money and manage her finance on the road? How to stay connected to the internet? Or forget about internet, how to even be safe, especially when she arrives at a less familiar city? And how to sustain nutrition health through a proper diet? Because Alyssa provided us with such an incredible amount of information and knowledge for how she did it, together we want to share it with the world on Phase World Podcast. And while you listen, you can head over to phaseworld.com and check out detailed show notes, favorite quotes, a list of resources recommended by Alyssa. Alyssa also inspired me to minimize my life. So recently I started an eBay campaign where I've listed a good amount of my clothes for sale, over 150 items, mostly new with tags, gently worn items, a little embarrassing, I know. 
but it feels so liberating to let go. And by the way, 50% of the proceeds in August will be donated to the O'Malley Taekwondo Center in Peabody, Massachusetts, specifically to help support the anti-bullying program designed for children. Without further ado, please welcome Alyssa Ackerman to share her story with you right now. Hello, girlfriend. Hi, how's it going? Good. You sound great. Yay. Okay, cool. Um, it should be quiet. I'm in the van, so it should be quiet. Oh, man. I, <laughs> I'm i so blown away by your website, your YouTube video. Really well done. Thanks so much. It's been fun. And I'm so excited for you. I'm excited about all you're up to as well. Really? Yeah, this is great. I'm so proud of you. Oh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're on to something on your own. And yesterday I had lunch with Matt Lindley, his sapien, if you, if you remember him. Totally. Oh, yeah, great. And he said something about the podcast. And I mentioned to him that I'm going to interview you this morning. He concluded that people doing what we do and many other walks of life is uh, very intriguing because we might be doing something that other people are not ready for, willing to, or even in you know necessarily interested in creating a craft uh, out of. So... You, you know, we're here to tell the story. So I'm so glad. Yeah, that's great to hear. Tell us a little bit about sort of who you are and where you are right now. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I am Alyssa. I am currently parked outside, like outside of a Starbucks in Chico, California, using their Wi-Fi and <laughs> drinking their coffee. Starbucks, I've never been such a fan since moving into a van. And I am, yeah, I'm living in the van. I've been traveling since the beginning of January. I drove away from San Francisco, but my home is really in Michigan. Beautiful. Wow. You know, this morning I wrote a note to myself, stop asking a million questions all at once and break them down into categories. (laughs) I'm sure my listeners are thinking about the same thing. So uh, tell us maybe the origin story. Like, how did this come about? What, What triggered you to take on such an adventure? Yeah, well... Being from Michigan, I went to school at University of Michigan, moved out to Boston for a design position at Sapient, where you and I worked together. And while I was there, like I was really committed to working all the time and working really hard and trying to really care about what I was working on, even though like ultimately it was advertising and it was brands that were not my favorite brands. But I, you know, was justifying it all. Like I was learning a ton, making great connections. It was a great experience. Um, but I, I would work really, really hard and then I would quit and go travel for like six months, um, is what happened to Sapient. And then I'd come back and get a job. So this time I came back, I moved to San Francisco and got a job at a tech startup out there. And again, did the same thing where like, I really want to care about what I'm working on. So working really, really hard. And, and again, it was a great experience. I loved the people I worked with. I learned a ton, but I got to a point where I was like, wait a second, like this still, it still doesn't matter. Like what I'm doing, what I'm working on still doesn't matter. And I just like the, the more time I spent there at this company is started to be like, ah, not feeling so good about it and not wanting to be so distinct in the way I was living in the sense of like full time working all the time felt like it was one life. And then the vacation or time off felt like a very separate life. And I, I didn't want that to go on forever. Like, um, I didn't want 
traveling to be a pause from my real life or a break from my real life. I wanted to try and bring them together. So that was kind of one of the missions of this current trip is like, I didn't want it to be a vacation. I didn't want there to be an end date or even an end city. And so I just, I got it in my head that I wanted to see more of the United States because I tend to leave the country when I have the ability to, or when I'm thinking about travel, I I go really far away. And after being on the West Coast for a little while, I started to explore some of the nature out there, like Big Sur and Yosemite. And that was so eye-opening that I was like, I need to see this country. And so, you know, I didn't start with a van. (laughs) I was like, I moved to San Francisco and Boston partially because I didn't have to have a car there. Like I was not a car owner. I did not want a car at all. (laughs) So I was like, maybe I'll walk across the country. And I started looking at that and people are doing that. Like a number of people have done that or are doing that, which was uh, fascinating to me. But I took a small road trip last year um, from San Francisco to Portland where, where we wanted to take a little side trip. And the little side trip was 20 miles. And I was like, if I was walking across the country and I decided I wanted to take a little side trip, I would never be able to. So then I started to consider a vehicle. This is amazing because so much of the story resonated with me, maybe not in the sense of physically being in a van. It's something that I haven't thought about doing. And I think that would be something that I personally struggle with because I have so much stuff and I'm so used to surrounding myself with things, which we'll get to in a second. But This whole, the theme that you're painting is what I think it's like, work hard, play hard, and then explore the world. You know, it's not just uh, drinking, hanging out of the bars. As you know, that lifestyle is very familiar, working at agency (laughs) and marketing. Uh, You know, it's almost like a a way of forgetting like what we do during the day. But also the theme of one life is something that I've been, you know, contemplating for a very long time, even before I started Face World. Also, at the very same time, I started traveling. You know, I founded Face World Inc. as of January 4th and thinking, you know what, you're absolutely right. Why should we always look at Mondays or Fridays uh, the same way? Can I sort of interject, you know, vacation or experiencing life as part of working, you know, so that doesn't feel so routine-like and it's so ingrained into um, people's lives today. And it was kind of sad for me. So I was trying to figure it out, uh, that part out on my own as well. So congratulations. It sounds like you're, you're speaking very confidently and you have a lot of really positive energy, exactly the same way as I remembered you back at Sapient. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you have this wonderful blog and I kind of want to point people's attention to. And before we connect on Skype, I was so eager to kind of post something out to say, hey guys, check it out. It's a beautiful blog. I was blown away by the photography. I mean, the the curation of the stories. It's called A Place and All Its Creatures. And so tell us about uh, sort of how are you just sort of like capturing uh, and journaling like your your experience. Was this like thought through at the very beginning or kind of came about halfway through? Yeah, well, the blog, uh, it was very important to me to be working on a project and not just be on vacation. Like I knew I needed a mission or to be creating something because in the past when I've gone traveling for five or six months, and I'm just a tourist for five or six months. I, I don't like how that feels um, when I'm not producing something. So I personally have always been really interested in human ecology and the relationship between how someone is both 
impacted and impacting their natural landscape at the same time. So uh, the name A Place in All Its Creatures comes from a Wendell Berry quote um, when he talks about you can't judge the health of a community by anything less than looking at or studying a place and all of its creatures. So that was a major inspiration for um, the project. And so initially it started off quite structured. Being a planner by profession, it's been a practice to like bring that down a little bit on this kind of project. So I, I was like looking at, you know, the United States and trying to think about different landscapes that exist here and was really curious about studying communities that exist in these different kinds of landscapes because I feel pretty convinced that if you grow up in a community whose identity is inclusive of the natural world, then you think differently about like self and external um, forces differently than someone who grows up where it's like, you know, us versus the wilderness or it's us against the elements. Um, so it started off focusing on a few specific locations where 10 days would be spent there and I would be focusing on just connecting with people in, in that space and in these particular groups, whether it was around art or music or there were a variety of different communities. You know, <laughs> there were a few issues with this plan, one being like 10 days is just so short, not enough time at all to really get to know people and get them to talk honestly with you. And also didn't really schedule in production time. So by the time um, New Orleans hit and there was there were all of these really intense conversations we're having with people down there, we, when I say we, my partner and I started this project together, Donnie, and so we kind of shifted our focus. And so the blog has been a mix of kind of interviews with people we're meeting along the way as well as just like process and what's going on and where we're at, which has been, it's been a really fun, it's been really fun for me to, yeah, do like to be photographing and writing a lot about the process. I've been more recently, I've been writing kind of offline because I'm really practicing writing very honestly and not just kind of the Facebook version of the trip. And, you know, this place was beautiful and this person was great. But like the more specific details and some of the harder stuff too. Yeah, I love that. And then this is, I feel like this is a more adventurous version of the Face World podcast. You know, I'm sitting uh, in my home comfortably with my cup of coffee and my newly installed blinds and computer, you know, these things that I, as part of my plan. But um, I'm really intrigued when you mentioned people. Where are you seeking them out? Who are these people? I mean, you're you're traveling, right? You're, these are not necessarily your were at all your friends, people you've known at all, or have any connections through. Who are they? Yeah, well, so um, we've been very lucky a few times. I mean, when we got to New Orleans, we were I was staying with one of my friends, but like I wanted to focus on art while we were down there and the community of artists that live there. And this woman, Ketsia, who's someone I've never met, but she found us online. She wrote and was like, oh my gosh, if you're in New Orleans, you have to talk to all of these artists. And she and I were in touch. And I mean, that 
made the New Orleans experience completely different than every other experience because we were kind of vetted. <laughs> and so it allowed us more, it allowed us to get deeper into that community. Beyond that, we, <laughs> it's so funny that you asked because I started writing about this when I was in Little Rock because it is so awkward. Like <laughs> you show up to a new town and you like go to the bar or you go to a park or whatever and you're like, okay, like here I am. Now, how am I going to get strangers to like be my friend or talk to me honestly and then maybe get on camera. <laughs> I mean, definitely being out in public. I started to set up meetings before I got there where I would just search for local muralists in New Orleans or local musicians. In Little Rock, I went on Craigslist and that was fantastic just to look at all of the people looking for band mates. And then you could start to ask if you can interview or ask if you could grab a cup of coffee and hear about uh, their experience as a musician here. Um, in Little Rock, we went to a show our first night and started connecting with some of the bands that were playing and some of the pe the people who owned the venues and things like that. But definitely an awkward, <laughs> awkward experience. Yeah, um, but you, what you just said reminded me of a pretty famous saying that's been repeated by multiple people is that an interesting person is someone who is interested. So... You know, since I've been doing what I'm doing podcasting-wise for nearly two years, I know that sometimes we discredit ourselves for saying we're just there, we're just facilitating, we're, you know, but there's so much more to that. Even as a uh, third uh, party, you know, just an outsider listening to this, and I feel that now I'm even more interested in the arts in New Orleans. I'm more interested in the people in Portland because my connection through Alyssa, you know, especially in a way that I feel like your energy and your stories resonated with me so well, that intrigued me even more so to discover what you are discovering through your own eyes, you know, something very powerful. So I, I wonder if you feel the same way, and I know you're posting more regularly on your blog on Facebook. What are some of the comments and kind of interactions with your existing network that you find interesting? Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, I'm so happy to hear that um, the blog is providing like inspiration for people because exactly to answer your question, from the people who I'm, clo I'm very close to, um, just in my day-to-day -day life, really close friends and family, they are happy. <laughs> well, it's been, it's been said that like they're happiest when I'm not posting because it means I'm living and I'm not thinking about capturing it and then sharing it for other people. And so I do feel that a lot, but I also then hear from people, a lot of people like that they're enjoying, they're enjoying the stories and the blog. And so I definitely feel somewhat conflicted about <laughs> how much sharing and like, when do I change my own lens on the experience and take it away from like needing to capture it or photograph it to just being in it. Um, definitely. But I know a lot of people say, oh, I wish I could do that. And I used to wish I could do that. And it's really, really scary um, when you're thinking about jumping into this world that you are not a part of and don't know anything about. And like you, both of your feet, I was completely in tech startup San Francisco. And I'm thinking about this other thing that's over there. and I don't know it. Um, and so it's scary, but like you can, you can all do it. It's just um, one major thing that helped me do it was recognizing early on that if I was going to make this jump, then it was important that I be intentional about my social circles. 
So I started to spend more of my outside of work time with people who were doing this kind of thing or crazier. And <laughs> that like really helped context- like contextualize it for me because talking to my peers at work, uh, it seems so crazy to do this thing. And then I meet, you know, a bunch of people living in their buses and their boats. And I have been for seven years or whatever. And you're like, oh, this is, everyone's already doing this. This is normal. <laughs> That's right. And there's something really powerful to be said uh, by what you're doing is it's funny, literally the day before this interview, I published a blog post on Face World called, you know, financial versus spiritual independence and independence, I guess it can be swapped out by, you know, freedom and, and such. And I wanted to write this so much because of the situation that we're living in, we believe we should be living in. And I was so, so intrigued, just randomly come across this video uh, by David S. Rose talking about what is the ultimate entrepreneurship. So he used the term immigration, but in a way you're, even though you're not, <laughs> you know, you're not immigrating to another country, but you're immigrating into a different lifestyle. And as soon as I published this, I got a couple of comments talking about, hey, is it, kind of want to hear your feedback on this, is financial stability needs to come first before you can practice uh, spiritual freedom. So last night, I thought so deeply about this. I published sort of a part two to the article itself. Is it, is it possible to even exercise spiritual freedom without financial stability? I think the answer is yes, though not without challenges. And you know, I feel that what you're doing is a shiny example of saying, you know, I'm interested in, I'm sure many people ask, how could you, are you living off of your, you know, some savings from before? Um, where, how are you thinking about this as well? How are you managing this process? That's a great, okay, I'm excited to read this blog post of yours. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the biggest financial mind shift is simply that I can live with a lot less. I mean, um, I was paying... My bedroom in San Francisco cost $1,400 a month. Um, and so... And the van I'm living in costs like six, about 6000 ish And so the cost right now of living is very, very low. I think I'm living partially off of savings. And also I am working very, very part-time, like 6 to 12 hours a week from the van from Starbucks uh, parking lots, uh, teaching classes online. So a tiny bit of income that really helps even it out. So I don't feel like I'm just paying, which, which adds stress. It's just very mental. <laughs> like I am not so focused on making savings right now and putting money in the bank, but I'm living very lightly. Like I'm learning how to live with very little and spending very little. And so that's something I think that will continue to be a trend in my life and continue to help me not be spending all of this money that I can save and also still live really well. So yeah, I mean, major expenses are gas because it's a diesel van, um, gas, food, and then like maintenance. I'm going to the mechanic today. So fingers crossed. But yeah, financials really help you feel secure, but so do, so do relationships. And that's a big part of why I started this trip too, is like I have great, amazing friends and family. And if something went horribly wrong, I'd be able to like camp out in their driveway for a while. And so that is very, very comforting. It's it's interesting how I realize how just how poised, how curious in a way that, you know, seems like 
because you've been telling and sharing your stories, your thoughts are very clear. And I don't know why I'm saying this in a very surprising way. Maybe because you've been doing this for, at this point, seven months already and with planning as a PM, as a designer from maybe 2015, it just intrigued me. But when you said classes, <laughs> teaching classes in your van, what are the classes you're teaching and who are your students? <laughs> I'm still teaching. Well, I'm so, I haven't left the other world completely, <laughs> is the answer. I'm teaching digital marketing classes with General Assembly. Um, so I taught with them 10-week on-campus on courses while in San Francisco, and then they offered up a, an online version of that where you have mentors. So I am a mentor, which means I, I'm doing one-to-one sessions with students, and I've taught a few fuller, like, fuller UX and digital marketing kinds of classes with them as well. So basically, it's, you know, defining business objectives, creating personas and journeys, outlining like what your your marketing campaign and budget would look like, stuff like that. No, this is great because I'm thinking there's another very important lesson here. It's career on the go, right? Definitely. Because, you know, because that's something I I found so attractive is that questioning, do we all have to sit in an office at the same place, uh, have face-to-face meetings? Granted, sometimes it's better, right? If I had the choice, I would absolutely choose for you to sit next to me and have this conversation. But the world has drastically shifted into a different model. Uh, You look at many different companies, you know, started even just with the internet. The internet was founded by people who from different countries and never, never knew each other at all, didn't even speak the same language. Today, you know, a lot of these, you know, the company Alasan, I forgot mm-hmm. the name, and, you know, WordPress and uh, Envision, which is a UX tool, I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. Every, you know, everybody's working, again, from home and more or less choosing their own hours. Some companies are more flexible than the others. And I've noticed a lot of that through my own work, you know, at times working from home and going to the office one once or twice a week. And then the rest, I can work in the backyard and the park. You know, ideally, I could even work next to, you know, in the van next to Starbucks <laughs> if I choose to. Totally. And it's, you know, some days are better than the parking lot of Starbucks. Some days are like way up on a hillside over like in Mendocino looking out at a lake while I'm making coffee on, on my little camp. So that's been like very convenient. And and a lot of the students are from all over the world. They're in Australia and Poland and like everywhere. And then the other small amount of income that I'm doing is working with a company called Hip Camp. And if you haven't heard of Hip Camp, I love, I love them and I use them um, as a camper. Basically, it's like Airbnb, but for private land. So if you own 60 acres of land, you can open it up to campers. And I go like early on to sites that are just opening. I help verify them. So I will go and photograph them and leave, you know, like kind of do a little write-up about them. And that has been really a really amazing way to see a lot of or to see just private land and to meet with landowners who are excited about sharing this beautiful space that they have with other people and working with this great small startup. I think they're out of San Francisco. Nice. I will definitely include these links and resources because uh, this morning I also remembered one of my other friends from a different uh, agency I worked at, Digital Influence Group. She was also a woman. She was contemplating doing something, you know, very similar. Um, And I'm sure... 
she had her anxiety, but listening to someone who actually not only started it, but lived a lifestyle for an extended period of time is really helpful. And speaking of convenience, I noted down, you know, I'm kind of just curious, you're, you're young, you're very healthy. How are you managing food and sort of health, you know, medical stuff when, I mean, food is more like an everyday thing, whereas, you know, uh, medicine is more maybe once in a while, you know, if that. So how do you, okay. yeah, how do you deal with that? Um, let's see. I mean, as far as food goes, the one thing that's really made my life so much better on the road food-wise is making my own sauerkraut in the van. So I'm fermenting cabbage all the time. And that has been like made it way more tasty. I also have a friend in Michigan who owns um, a fermenting company called The Brinery. And he sent me off, like he and I used to work together in college. And so he sent me off with a bunch of awesome hot sauces. So hot sauces really make beans and rice of any kind taste better or different. So (laughs) I eat a lot of beans and rice and I make a ton of, well, I call it kitchari, but I think everyone else calls it kitchari. It's like a one pot dish, basically. It's rice lentils, fresh ginger root or ginger root, turmeric root, and then any vegetables that you want. And I'll just make a ton of it and eat it for days. Um, I also have been better at um, buying produce and because just eating rice and beans or bread and peanut butter (laughs) gets old. I buy like a big thing of spinach and avocado and make salads a lot, as well as just apples and bananas. Um, Food is really a hard balance because I hate Walmart and Walmart lets me sleep in their parking lot. And and, (laughs) and like I, so I go to farmer's markets when I can, food co-ops occasionally for certain things, but it's very expensive. And so that is like an ethical, like a deep, I'm on the line of my consume, like my food consumer behaviors all the time. Are, are you a vegetarian by chance? Yes. Oh, you are. How long has that been? Uh, like seven years. Oh, okay. So this is like way before the trip that you already kind of used to the diet. Wasn't because of the trip. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. really interesting. And the way that you describe the food actually sounds really delicious. Oh my gosh. I've been surprised lately. Like I've been eating really well. And actually I met up with a friend recently who's been living this kind of way for a long time. And that helps re-inspire some of my food, my food habits and like oatmeal and making your own granola and um, just like making tacos and reusing stuff in an interesting way. So yeah, you're always, you're always picking things up from other travelers you meet too. I met someone in Umpqua National, um, National Park in Oregon who's traveling around the country on his motorbike. His, he's called um, Less is More Travels. He has a blog. I'll send you the link. Uh, and he had all these great ideas too, like instant mashed potatoes that you just add water to and taste amazing. I never, <laughs> I was not thinking about that. Um, so you're always like picking stuff up from other other people as well. Yeah. Maybe there's, a, I saw that on your website, you carefully curated sections that are probably more popular, more frequently asked questions. Maybe there could be a food section as well, like tips and tricks on how to make, you know, instant (laughs) mashed potatoes and something (laughs) along that line. That's a great idea. And actually, I did write an article for Mind Body, Mind Body Green, Mind Green, but I'll send you the link as well about eating on the road and like the different kinds of days that you have and how that affects 
M, what what you eat. I'll send you that link. Oh, awesome. I, I wrote down a bunch of links, you know, Hip Camp and, and then, then the Hot Sauce website would be great. If I can get a list, then I can certainly feature some of that uh, in addition to your story. That's a great question. That one is like definitely trickier. Um, so I have health insurance and it's through Michigan. So when I went through Michigan to hang out with my family, I went to the doctor there and like I went to the doctors before I quit my job last year and everything. And so mostly just trying to continue to be and eat and live a healthy-ish life. Um, Like my, I have some amount of allergies and asthma, but I I spent some time on a farm and they were like, oh, do you know about mullein, uh, this herb that you can make a tea out of, which is great for asthma? And so, like, it's been, and I knock on wood as I say this, medically, it's been pretty gentle and easy. I hate saying that out loud. <laughs> but, yeah, and I hope it keeps going that way. No, it's great. I think also when, you know, when you're on the road, because I was in China for three weeks. I got back just about two weeks ago, and... I came across a, a medical condition that uh, it was very surprising to me because like you, you know, I barely go to the hospital and I, I barely get a cold. And and all of a sudden, because of food I was eating and it was so much seafood, you know, even living in Boston, I eat seafood all the time, but not never for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And the way it was prepared just made me... Uh, very sick. And then I was really nervous for a second. And especially for me, it sounds funny. I was living in the hotel, but it was in a sort of a tier two city area and I was very new to the area. So I just remember feeling anxious on top of a not a very severe uh, illness at all. That's why it triggered me to kind of ask the question. But sounds like you, you have this more or less under control. And also I realized that, you know, especially Massachusetts, partners and health have a lot of these uh, clinics just off the street, very convenient. So do you see much of that at all where where you're traveling to? Are you staying in major cities or kind of you're in some rural areas as well? Yeah, I'm staying in both. And the one time that I did get really sick, I was very lucky in that I was living on this farm outside of Asheville, North Carolina. Um, The farm is called Snaggy Mountain and I was woofing there. And so like, if you're gonna get sick, <laughs> the best place to do it is on a farm surrounded by a bunch of people who are, like, really focused on holistic, like, holistic living and food as medicine. And there are tons of couches and tons of musicians. So I could just lay on the couch and <laughs> for, like, days. And, you know, you're laying there and then, like, musical jams are coming in and out. And people are like, oh, you know, I was thinking about you. Like, what you really need is red clover tea. And so, like, everyone was so loving and... And like caring at the farm that I felt really grateful it happened there. And it, it felt just like my time was due to be sick. <laughs> when was this? That was in April. Uh, right in the middle. of yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that was, that was good. Other, otherwise, like everything has been pretty minor, knock on wood again. But yeah, I go back and forth between big cities and like public land way out where you don't see any other humans. And that is interesting more than my health is like the health of the van. Of, of like the exploding tires or the van breaking down and not having any service and not really having any know-how about making a van work when it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> you, I know you were traveling with a partner and then you know that you, you guys parted ways. And now you mentioned this car, like mechanical situation. I mean, I'm completely useless when it comes to a, a car that breaks down or having even minor issues, to be honest. Uh, 
uh, I, I feel very feminine for saying that, but it's just an area, honestly, I have no expertise in. So uh, tell me a little bit more about the, the parted ways and, you know, how maybe you have to kind of evolve a little bit in terms of what you need to do for the trip. Oh, yeah. So Donnie uh, and I were together for like three years. And even going into this project, we knew we would part physical ways. Um, I, I really wanted solo travel time. And he was interested in hanging out in Asheville for a while. He has family out there. So um, like the, the trip was planned with that in mind. And then when we were in New Orleans, we really kind of came, like we agreed that we weren't talking about what it meant for the relationship. We were just talking about what it meant for our physical bodies in space, like going different ways. And so we kind of agreed that it makes the most sense right now to actually just break up um, when we go separate ways. That way we can celebrate each other and not feel like obligated to, I don't know. It made sense because we didn't have a clear idea of when we would come back together. So we're in this kind of open relationship that's also a long distance and the end or the reconnection is ambiguous so it just it didn't feel great so we were like let's just call it now while we still like love each other so much things are really really good we can be great friends and we can help each other transition and do it together so we decided that in new orleans and honestly like once we we were like okay we have one more month together then we had the best time ever and it just like took some of the stress away. So Asheville, like we, we started looking for a car for Donnie and Donnie bought a CRV and built it out so that he can live it inside of it too. He can sleep in there. It's re- I'm really impressed. I'll send you the link to the blog about this build. It's pretty impressive. Um, and, and then, yeah, we, I mean, we still talk all the time and are really close friends. And I, I continued going north. Um, he stayed in Asheville. And we ended up meeting up one more time. Um, I think it was in Iowa in May. Yeah, so that's been really nice to have, like, transition out of that kind of relationship into like a really close friendship. I feel grateful that he and that our friends and family are all so supportive. Yeah, I, I just accidentally played the video because I was uh, looking uh, to see when it actually happened. I think it was around April as well when you parted ways. Yeah. Okay. So it's been quite some time. And I have a lot of respect for that because (laughs) I feel like in a way that your experience is almost telling an opposite story of what the society is teaching all of us kind of again ingrained and inside all of us for some people, you know, myself included decades. So it's kind of scary to even undo and unlearn. And when I tell young people or even people my age or even older to say that, you know what, I've spent the past few years really unlearned a lot of the things I learned along the way of, you know, being an adult. Um, so emotional stability is something that I have to say, you know, I'm uh, at fault as well. It's I also find that to be really stressful to manage so the way that you're talking about it is being very, very open-minded, but I'm sure there are times that feels difficult, especially when a car breaks down, when there's no, no guy friend to kind of rely on. So tell me a little more about how do you deal with kind of stressful moments without a lot of people around? What are the things you do? Do you go on a mountaintop? Do you go grab a Starbucks coffee? And do you meditate? What do you do? Good question. I mean, the big one that I've learned and I had no idea before I started this is like, you just keep, you keep going. So like I, when I, 
was in Michigan. I went on this 10-mile hike up in Pictured Rocks. Pictured Rocks is unbelievably beautiful up in the UP. And I, I kind of got lost, and I was like, huh, I wonder, you know, like, if I don't see the next trail marker in the next hour, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well, then what? Um, and my answer is like, well, then you keep walking. <laughs> Same with driving when I get lost. I'm like, well, if I don't see this thing in the night, I'm supposed to see this thing. And if I don't, like, what am I going to do? It's like, I'm going to keep driving. <laughs> um, like, those become the options, which is kind of comforting. Um, <laughs> so, and, and honestly, uh, at the beginning of this trip, I felt really excited because I'm like, hey, I get this is great. I get to pick a new home every night. But the reality is like driving, the act of driving is what I do and I don't know what to do. Like, and that's what feels most like home now is like I just keep driving. And that happened when I was up in northern Michigan. I got to this campsite and it was the only one nearby. And it was $20 a night to put to sleep in my car. And I was like, this is stupid. I I don't know what to do. I don't want to stay here. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to keep driving. And I drove, it was like nine. And I drove for five hours until I got to Wisconsin, like mid Wisconsin. And uh, where camping was also $20 for me to sleep in my van. But (laughs) driving is generally what I do. I also do try and just sit outside. And like, I am, I have a lot of fear when I show up someplace and it's nighttime and I can't see it before I sleep there. So if I get there, I try and get there during the day and then I try and like really be in that space and explore the space before nighttime. And that helps me a lot. Yeah, safety is another area I kind of want to kind of elaborate on uh, more. You just gave one very important tip is to study the area. Uh, I'm sure that you've also experienced not having enough time to study the area before you have to kind of settle down and just park. What are what are some of the, you had mentioned there's like hip camp and the kind of places that are more manageable, but when, the, when those options are not available, like how do you kind of spot out a place that is safe? Yeah. Appropriate to stay in. That's a great question. I mean, if I have to, I'll pay for a campsite. Like if it's really late or something like that. I, d- I don't love doing that. That's like the luxury piece. Otherwise, Walmart parking lots are generally pretty good. I don't necessarily sleep that deep there because there's so much going on and there's so many carts moving around and there's bright lights and stuff. But But generally pretty safe. I've been sleeping more on residential streets lately, like since... Denver is when I really started to feel more comfortable doing that. And that is always an interesting experience. I mean, I just go to bed when it's dark out and then I wake up super early. Like this morning, I woke up before the sun was up and I head out and I just like climb into the front seat and go. And that's, I try not to park around schools or police stations because my van doesn't look, it's not warm and welcoming. It's a Ford Econoline and it's just white and there's like no windows. So I just try and park somewhere that seems off of the main roads. Otherwise, there's public land and national forests where it's fine for you to pull off and camp in most places. And so that's been like, that's really beautiful. I, I always wish I had more wilderness survival skills, but I, you know, I'm also in a big steel box. So <laughs> pretty, pretty good that way. So that's what I prefer is to be out. If I can be out camping, there's also a website I use all the time. It's called freecampsites.net. Mm-hmm. And they highlight exactly that um, all over the country. 
and they'll also include ones that aren't free. But that's a really that's a resource I use like every time I'm trying to find a place to stay. Mm. It's good to know that there are resources out there, right? Think about 50 or 20, 30 years ago when there was no resource. I mean, this is where like digital digital marketing can be very helpful in people's lives. I'm just glad Definitely. to <laughs> recognize that, you know. And and another area or theme that you're painting is I feel like people in the modern world are struggling with one thing and parents know it, kids know it, is uh, learn how to be alone. You know, I find that that's something that I, even I struggle with. You know, when I hear people uh, saying that I could never be a freelancer or work at home is because I don't want to be alone. And, you know, where I don't know what to do with myself if I'm alone. I just need to surround myself uh, with people all the time. And then I start sharing my experience to say, okay, you can actually get around that, right? Is that worth sacrificing your, you know, your being, your life just to be uh, surrounded by people? What are there better ways to kind of be alone and just be more productive? So that makes me think about, you know, how often do you find yourself in a van or outside, be on a digital device, whether it be a cell phone or like a laptop? Yeah, that's a great, I mean, I'm so glad you bring that up. Just the, the necessity of alone time, actual alone time, like not texting in the van alone time. It's not quite the same. Um, basically, I have recently decided, okay, like I'm going to work three days a week and the rest of the time kind of be off and exploring and driving. So like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday I are the days that I teach. And so on those days, I will spend more time also, you know, photo editing or like catching up on emails, things like that. I am on my phone because I use it for music and navigation a lot. And then I try not be on the computer on my not work days as much as possible, which has been really nice. And, you know, when you get on public land and you get into the national forests and parks, Generally, there's just absolutely no service that helps mandate your like your alone time and keeps you off of the phone. Uh, otherwise, it's been a balance. It's definitely a tendency for me to pick it up when I'm scared <laughs> or alone in a new place at night, and I'm like looking to distract myself instead of just be with the be with feeling scared. <laughs> so that's definitely a continued practice for me, wanting to disconnect even more. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know how often you make phone calls or spend time chatting with people. Again, Skype is very convenient. I know you kind of pay once and then you're covered for the entire month. But do you do that or do you have a very extravagant cell phone plan that you're sticking with? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. I call a lot. Like I call my family a lot. My mom, dad and sister every week. And uh, I talk to Donnie and other friends a lot. I really do Part of this trip was also about placing or giving relationships in my life more priority than I do when I'm really busy working in the city. Mm-hmm. And that feels so important. So I have like that's definitely an intention of this kind of life right now to to put more time into those relationships and staying in touch with people and writing postcards, which I'm horrible at sending. Like I have a bunch of postcards that are written and stamped and addressed. Um, that have not <laughs> made it into a mailbox yet. But <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I use pho- the phone mostly. A little bit of Skype is just if I use Skype, then I need a data. I need Wi-Fi. And I have actually I, I work a little bit with a company called 
Karma Go, and they provide some Wi-Fi for me along the way, which is awesome as well. Nice. It's it's good to negotiate uh, some yeah. of the sweet deals before you <laughs> kind of move on. And, <laughs> you know, we've kind of underlying theme here, which uh, one question I forgot to ask is, have you done a weekly or monthly budget to see, you know, the, between the gas, the food, how much it would cost on a monthly basis? I should, and I haven't. We started, Donnie and I started at the beginning, but every month was so dramatically different just because, like, we're either, you know, in New Orleans for 10 days versus in the desert for 10 days. Mm. And so it changes dramatically, but actually, I feel like I feel committed. I can do this. Maybe next week I will do at least a weekly budget. Yeah. Because um, it's, that would be very useful for me as well. <laughs> yeah, because I think, you know, what I'm interested, maybe you have done that already because you posted so many on your blog. And since last night, I haven't had a chance to kind of plow through everything, is I would be interested in a story to talk about uh, your, you know, I, I mean, our our podcast will become sort of that very extensive blog post. But even in details, how much it actually costs because I think people will be shocked to see that at times, you know, living in the desert versus sure, living in the city will be a little different. And and then on top of that, the hours that you're working, you know, 12 to, uh, 10 to 12 is very different than 40 to 60, as you mm-hmm. know very well in your previous life. And, yeah. you know, and then kind of just paint that picture. I'm sure people will, some people will say, look, you don't have three kids yet, this and that. And that's that's true. Uh, and I've also seen documentaries where parents who take their kids kind of travel around the country and it's so intriguing. And I, I have to send that. Oh, speaking yeah. of... Yeah. Yes. Speaking of like films and stuff, do you, what do you do with your uh, free time? And I don't think you actually have a necessary ton of free time, just running from places to places. I have to cook meals. Um, but do you watch Netflix? Do you, what do you do in your downtime? Yeah, I thought I was going to have all this free time being unemployed. And <laughs> uh-huh. turns out uh, that I don't. Because <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, mean, I you spend a lot more time like just, living, which when, when you're in the city and working a real, like working a full-time job, that stuff feels so, like such a chore and so inconvenient and stuff you don't want to do. Like I spent so much money on convenience when I live in the city so that because I don't have the time, I feel like I don't have the time to cook and to clean and to do like to walk five miles to work instead of, you know, Uber or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I do like a lot of time is spent preparing food, cleaning up food, like, um, I read, I've been reading a lot. I just finished another roadside attraction, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe I hadn't read that earlier. That's Tom Robbins. And then a lot of writing, I'm spending a lot of time writing. I don't spend that much time watching movies because I don't usually sleep somewhere with Wi-Fi, like that kind of connection. And I don't, I'm really bad at watching stuff in general, unless I'm doing something else as well. Uh, the attention span thing. But um, otherwise, like hiking a lot and I've been volunteering a little bit. Like I just last weekend was volunteering at the World Festival in Grass Valley, California, which was musicians from all over the world. So lots of listening to music and meditating and trying to be, yeah, just be outdoors. Mm. Do you follow any sort of meditation apps or books that you recommend? Um. Let's see. I, I mean, I love Pima Chodron and her book, When Everything's Falling Apart, but it's not called that. It's something like that. 
She's great. And I also, I'm reading the Tibetan book of living and dying. Those aren't specific to meditation, but they touch on them. I was a fan of Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. I mean, I'm really interested in mindfulness meditation where you're like, you're not jumping into the thoughts that you're having, but it's not like, but you're aware of them and you're watching how they're connected to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested in that because I, I can really apply that to my day-to-day life and just take on a mindful perspective in my actions during the day. Um, I'm going to, I'm heading to Washington in August to do a 10-day silent meditation of Vipassana, which isn't a mindfulness meditation, but it's, it's a different kind, but I'm excited. It's going to be really hard, but I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Washington State? Oh, nice. 10 day. Okay. You owe me a lot of books and links, which I'm taking <laughs> notes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is a, this is really wonderful. I, I cannot believe we've been talking for an hour. I feel like it's been 10 minutes. I know. Me too. <laughs> wow. This is a, uh, so, so interesting. And you may have noticed that there's a theme uh, on women on the podcast as well is because I sometimes struggle finding women who are willing to share their stories and there are many more men who are willing to line up. So I'm just so glad. We had that exact same reality. (laughs) Like when we're trying to get people to talk to us, it was mostly white men, Mm -hmm. uh, which was amazing. But we're like, wait, like it was such, it was really hard for us to to get some women to chat with us. Yeah, I, I was really surprised because I came to the realization very early on to think that, wait a minute, are women often said to be the talker, wouldn't shut up and, comp- you know, all these things. I'm like, wait a minute, the reality is different. So yesterday when I talked to uh, my previous intern, I'm not sure if you met him, Sam Schramm, who's a UX intern at Sapient back in 2011. And then he is now joined as a full-time employee at Sapient. And he told me, he read the research and I want him to share that research with me, is that when men find that women are talking more than 25% of the time during the conversation, they believe that women are talking too much. What? Yeah, isn't it interesting? Like, because all these things that even that I thought of. He's like, okay, growing up, mom's going to talk more than dad because that's just understood and that's the, the standard. But turns out, like, just running podcasts, I realize it's not true that women talk more. Women are more likely to not only talk about themselves, but other people, places, and things. And uh, and also asking uh, me questions as, as, as it comes up. So it's you know, sometimes a lot more interactive. Granted, I praise all the men on my show because I do select them very carefully so they don't create this kind of monologue, you know, without direction, so. Fascinating. I know, and I feel like you're kind of just enjoying life as things, you know, as you choose and as you kind of approach different things and experiences. And uh, I I just want to say that I absolutely fully support you, whether this is something you want to continue doing as long as you you wish to, or if there comes a time that, you know, you feel like you're ready to experience something different, I find that to be perfectly okay as well. Thank you so much. Yeah. Do not let anybody to pressure you to choose one or the other, which obviously you're I don't think you sound like you're... (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been... I mean, that has been such... I didn't realize, like, how much time and energy would be spent with that kind of mental practice for myself of just 
and especially spending a month with family around graduation time. I'm just like oh. reminding myself and re-articulating and expressing what I'm doing and like a lot of conversation around, okay, but like what's after this? What are you doing then? Like when does this end? Mm-hmm. And and me constantly coming back to like, oh no, like that's what I'm doing is I'm just doing this now and I'm not deciding what the end looks like or where I'm headed before I do this, mm. <laughs> um, which has been like, Coming back to that over and over has been really um, useful and a little bit exhausting, but mostly mm-hmm. most useful in making me feel really like certain in the decisions that I've been making for myself. Absolutely. So, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been great chatting. Absolutely. Uh, so enjoy this. I And uh, do you mind me asking how old you are? 27. Oh, you're 20. Okay. You're yeah. still baby. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a really amazing for for you to do this at, at the point. You know, some could argue that twenty seven, all the steady relationship, of marriage, and kids, and I think you'll be really just so much happier to choose to do this for yourself first. And you know, I must say that because of what you do, whether this is you know permanent or impermanent, I don't believe anything is permanent in this world. But that's <laughs> you know, the stability is only an illusion. Which I'll send you the article I wrote. It's just beautiful because I want to say that whatever you're experiencing will, will only benefit you in the very long life you'll be living. Because you know, even for me to snowboard for the entire winter, that was the most incredible thing ever. And shortly after that, you know, I, I mean, this is not to have a setup and on a very grim story, but you know, <laughs> I I think about just being immersed in the nature and the beautiful things I saw, and uh, you know, much later on when my when I had to take care of my dad in the hospital for um, a period of time, I just remember closing my eyes and being able to remember that and to be mentally and physically in a very different place because of what the nature and sort of just people inspire me to think about. So, yeah, I think this is a great experience and also just the what a large creative library that you've created, you know, sort of the memory that you've created for yourself and other yeah. people. And, and the... Um, the blog, I'm, I'm feeling re-inspired to keep keep <laughs> being more regular with the blog. But right now, the most regular um, place I'm posting is on Instagram with uh, AllieRose15 is the handle. That's been the most recent Pacific Northwest photos and such. Great. So let's just uh, repeat that real quick. So Instagram, uh, the best way to connect with you will be Instagram. Yeah, AllieRose, A-L-Y-R-O-S-E-1-5. Okay. I will include all the links uh, and also Facebook and YouTube uh, and the website. Great. And I'll shoot you an email. But thanks so much for having me. Oh, thank you, Alyssa. Yeah. Please stay in touch. Definitely. Okay. Bye. To listen to more episodes of the Face World podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or visit faceworld.com. That is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D, where you can find show notes, links, other tools, and resources. You can also follow me on Twitter at Face World. Until next time, thanks for listening.